But this morning I want to preach a message. I'm not actually sure if Gary made a thing before he went away, because he was asking me my title and I didn't really have one, so I've kind of stole a song lyric from Hamilton, the, the musical, because my message the title this morning is Who Lives, Who Dies, and Who Tells the Story. Who Lives, Who Dies, Who Tells the Story, and I want to read some, I'm going to read chapter four from Esther uh, this morning, but before I get there, I just want to provide some context to the passage, basically God's people are in captivity. So they, God's people basically, the Old Testament is full of stories where God's people were right with God, then they messed up. So God allowed them to be taken into captivity. Then God would deliver them and then they would mess up again, everything. And it was just an up and down. It's like a roller coaster like this. And where Esther finds herself in the historical context is basically if you've heard of a guy called Daniel, Basically, the, the God's people were taken into captivity in the time when Daniel and God done amazing things. We, Daniel in the lion's den, the writing was on the wall. We've got Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And so basically, that has happened before Easter. It was about 200 years before Esther. Not before Easter, it was a long time before Easter. About 200 odd, 250 years before Esther's time. So Daniel's been and gone. We've then just, as a church, we've read through Nehemiah. So he finds himself in between the two where... God's people are now rebuilding the land of Jerusalem. They're building the walls and they're able to have achieved this. But obviously, if you read the devotionals, you'll find that some of the Jews stayed back where the Babylonians were and some of them had returned to Jerusalem. So then we find ourselves with Esther, who's one of God's people in the land of the Babylonians. And in Esther chapter one, we have Queen Vashti who upsets the king. I'm running through this very quickly. Don't upset a king, because uh, I was thinking she didn't actually die, but she was exiled from the kingdom. So then the the king wants a new queen, because that's what kings do, apparently, or it's certainly what they've done. So there's a search across all of the land, and Esther is chosen to be the new queen, which is not something she asked for. It wasn't something she sought, but she finds herself in this position of influence within the Babylonian kingdom as the queen to the king. She has an uncle who is a good guy called Mordecai or Mordecai, depending on how you pronounce it. And he's like a, an advisor. He's, so as far as we're aware, Esther's an orphan, so she's not got parents. So Mordecai's kind of like our, her spiritual father and he looks after her, he advises her. He's got a relationship with her. But Mordecai finds himself in a position. He's also kind of an influential person. He's a servant of the king, but he finds out that actually there's this guy called Haman who has a plan to eradicate all of God's people from the kingdom. And Mordecai hears this, and we then, he basically is distraught, and we find in Esther chapter four, I'm going to read it. Now, Mordecai then comes to Esther, and this is how the conversation goes. It says this, when Mordecai learned about all that had been done, He tore his clothes, put on burlap and ashes, and went out into the city, crying with a loud and bitter wail. He went as far as the gate of the palace, for no one was allowed to enter the palace gate while wearing clothes of mourning. And and as news of the king's decree reached all the provinces, there was great mourning amongst the Jews. They fasted, wept, and wailed, and many lay in burlap and ashes. When Queen Esther's maids and eunuchs came and told her about Mordecai, she was deeply distressed. She sent clothing to him to replace the burlap, but he refused it. Then Esther sent for, I'm not going to pronounce that correctly, but Hathak, I'll go with that, one of the king's eunuchs who had been appointed as her attendant. She ordered him to go to Mordecai and find out what was troubling him and why he was in mourning. 
So Hathak went out to Mordecai in the square in front of the palace gate. Mordecai told him the whole story, including the exact amount of money Haman had promised to pay in the royal treasury for the destruction of the Jews. Mordecai gave Hathak a copy of the decree issued in Susa that called for the death of all Jews. He asked Hathak to show it to Esther and explain the situation to her. He also asked Hathak to direct her to go to the king to beg for mercy and plead for her people. So Hathak returned to Esther with Mordecai's message. Then Esther told Hathak to go back and relay this message to Mordecai. All the king's officials and even the people in the provinces know that anyone who appears before the king in his inner court without being invited is doomed to die unless the king holds out his golden scepter. The king has not called for me to come to him for 30 days. So Hathak gave Esther's message to Mordecai and Mordecai sent this reply to Esther. Don't think for a moment that because you're in the palace, you will escape when all other Jews are killed. If you keep quiet at a time like this, deliverance and relief for the Jews will arise from some other place, but you and your relatives will die. Who knows if perhaps you were made queen for such a time as this. Then Esther sent this reply to Mordecai, go and gather together all the Jews of Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. My maids and I will do the same. And then, though it is against the law, I will go in to see the king. If I must die, I must die. So Mordecai went away and did everything as Esther had ordered him to do. What an incredible passage. I mean, this is, this is an incredible story. And actually, the name Esther means I have hidden. And it's actually quite interesting because Esther's the only book in the Bible where God is not mentioned once, and yet from start to finish... He is all over the whole story. And I want to encourage you that you might be in life right now and you feel like I don't know where God is. It feels like he is hidden. Well, I want to tell you that he is still in control, that he is always working, that he is always moving, that he has never failed and he's not going to fail you now. He's the way maker. He's the chain breaker. He's everything that we've sang this morning. So keep trusting him. But I don't think this young woman, Esther, would ever have imagined she would find herself in this position. I mean, I mean, I'm, 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 I'm a guy, so I never grew up wanting to be a princess or a queen, but I don't even think that even in a young person's wildest imaginations, they could ever think it could be possible. You might grow up wanting to be like the Disney princesses, but actually, you never actually think that's going to happen to me, and yet Esther finds herself in this position, and you might think it's great, and yet she has this heavy weight, this burden for her people that actually she would never, ever ask for. And this question just lingers. Who knows? Just maybe you were put into this position for a time. Maybe you were given this opportunity for just this moment. Nowhere does it say, it's a bit like Jonathan and his armor bearer. There's a story in the, the Old Testament where it's, 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 it's insane. Because he just says, who knows, maybe we could take them. It's not this says God. I would be okay with it a bit if God had spoken directly to me. Like Abraham or like Mary or like Joseph where Gabriel shows up and says, this is what the Lord says, but that's not what happens. Here it's a very much a case of, well, maybe just, just maybe. So you're telling me there's a chance, you know, what if faith passage, I'm preached on it to end the year. And it's that idea of, but what if, what if, what if God does show up? And the first thing I note here is that the opportunities are God's responsibility. That God has got a plan for your life. 
I'm hoping that that's what Gary put, because that's what I told him to put. Apparently not, but that's okay. But opportunity, hey, there we go. Oh, he's got them the wrong way around. But opportunities are God's responsibility. Guy does an amazing job putting them up. But opportunities are God's responsibility. God has given you opportunities. God has, God has put you in places that he wants you to get to. And I want to, this might be a hard truth to hear, but actually you can't get to where God wants you to get to without God putting you there. You can't do it in your own strength. There is no way that Esther could have possibly, I mean, what are the odds? I don't know how many women were in the kingdom, but what are the odds that it just so happened to be the Jewish woman Esther who's in the place whose uncle is Mordecai, who is the unique person. It's, it's almost like God knew exactly what he was doing when he put Esther into this position. And some of you will find yourselves with opportunities where you think, this couldn't have happened without God. I think of the Bible's full of these stories. It just so happens that the one day that David decided he was going to take his lunch to his brothers in the battlefield, at the exact moment where Goliath starts defying and decrying the enemies of God, it just so happens that the it just so happens that David had an opportunity to kill a giant. It just so happens that Philip in the New Testament was teleported to exactly where an Ethiopian eunuch was reading the word and didn't understand it, where God could explain to, use Philip to explain, this is what it means, and oh, how can I be baptized? Well, there's some water just conveniently placed over there. It's not a coincidence that Moses, who was the prince of Egypt, was the one person who, he was the, he was the one Israelite, he was probably the one of God's people who could get into the palace of the Pharaoh without being killed. He's the only one who could have actually been used by, why? Because God had an opportunity for him. God has got opportunities for you. I've found myself in rooms where I'm like, I don't belong here. Even when I think about young lions, I have the honor of being the Scottish year two head. I don't understand how. I don't understand why, but I understand and recognize enough that it's not about me. It's actually God has got opportunities. He's got a call on my life and he's got a call on your life too. God has got things for you to do. The Bible's full of stories and this room is full of people who God has got opportunities for you. He's designed them for you. He specifically created them for you. The second thing I know on the screen, the other way around, is that it's God's timing. God is responsible for timing. The timing is all part of God's plan. I wish you would hurry up sometimes. I really, really do. But I can't. I can't make God go faster. I can't make him go any slower. It's all in his timing, which is great when you're on the other side of it and you're looking at it and think, oh, yeah, it was. But when you're in the midst of it, you're just like, God, I don't understand. It just so happens in this story that it's in the timing of God that Mordecai would hear this plan and this plot. It was the timing of God that it just so happens, they've been in captivity for a long time, but it just so happens to be on this specific date, Queen Vashti decided to annoy the king. It just so happened to be that in that moment in history, God's timing was like, it's time for you to be exiled because I have to move things out of the way because the timing of me is that I need Esther to be in position. And so Esther finds herself at this time, and it's, it's a time-sensitive moment. She does not have a lot of time to work out. The king is going to bring this law in, and all of the people, all God's people are going to be wiped out. 
And so therefore, God has got a plan and he's got a time link. You know, Jesus, when he was picking his disciples and there's a point where he says, come and follow me. And they're like, well, can we go back and pretty much say bye to our families and all that? And Jesus says, well, I'm going this way. And so you can come with me now, but nothing's going to slow God down. And in this passage, we then find that Mordecai says to Esther and reminds her, if you don't, God will do what he's going to do regardless of what... Right, let me, if you're hearing this morning that God's depending on us, that is not the message. God is going to do whatever God wants to do because he's God. He does not need us. He wants us to be involved and he has a plan for us. But God would save his people whether we like it or not. What would happen though is we would miss out in the blessing. We would miss out in the victory. We would miss out in the deliverance. And we would be sitting on the sidelines while God's moving somewhere else. And it's like, (sighs) I missed my moment in history because of me. So Esther has to decide this and she takes time to pray. You see, I look at my life and I look at the, the timeline up to this point and I'm like, if anything had been out of sync and timing, then it just wouldn't have worked. You know, I remember when John, I've shared the story when John and Tiff were, gonna, were moving to Shetland and I remember being really distraught, but actually it was the right timing of God. Because if they hadn't moved when God had them to move, then my personal journey would have been different. I wouldn't have grown in God. I would have been comfortable and I'd have been set. Why? Because God's got a time and a plan and he will move things and rearrange things to get you where he needs you to be. But the final thing, and this is my longest point, I'm afraid, is that what we do with the timing and the opportunities are our responsibility. God can't make you do something. It's impossible for God to force you to do something. All they can do is create the opportunities and the timing and us recognizing it and he can reveal that to us. But then it's up to us what we do with our moment. You see, in this passage, God's people are going to be wiped out. A whole generation would be wiped out because Esther missed her moment and missed her opportunity. But thankfully she doesn't. But you'll read that this week if you do our Bible read. She goes to the king and everything works out in the end. I won't spoil anything. But I wonder, what might have happened if she hadn't? I think about the, the stories in the Bible and I think about the times in my life or in other people's lives when I'm like, if they had not responded to the call. I remember hearing a story and I can't remember the it was a preacher telling me, and I can't remember if it was Reinhard Bonnke or if it was someone like that, and they had a massive ministry. The call of God on their life was huge and what they were able to do. And I remember hearing them tell the story of how they were called into it, and he thought he was, but why me? And God said to him, well, I asked five people before you, and they all said, no. And I think about the amazing things that God would want to do in us and through us that we could have missed out on that God done anyway because he'll just use someone else. But think of what else could have been done. You see, God will do whatever God wants to do. God's the one who builds his church, but we would be the ones who miss out on being part of the building. You see, I believe firmly that there are people who depend on us making the most of our time and our opportunities. There are future generations, there are people in our worlds who are dependent on us. 
in this story, Esther, people were, a, people, a whole a whole nation, a whole tribe, a whole generation was saved because she stepped out in faith and said, you know what, if God, the question of who knows, perhaps I was placed here, perhaps this is the timing of God, that if this is where I am in this moment in history, God doesn't make mistakes. That what are the opportunities that God gives us right now? Because people are dependent on you and they're dependent on me. You know, Paul wrote in the, the New Testament that I became all things to all men in order that I might win some. Because it's Jesus who saves. It's only Jesus who saves. It's only through grace through faith in Jesus, not of works that we could boast, like Paul writes. We can't boast about being saved, but being saved isn't what it's all about. That's, only the, that's a massive part of it. But actually, one day at the end of life, we're going to have to stand before him and God will look at us and say, what did you do with the timing and the opportunities that I gave you? He looked at the, the parable of the talents, the five, two, and one, and he says, what did you do? I gave you the opportunity and I gave you the, the, the time. What, what, what did you do with it? I mean, Esther's written in the Bible because she used her time and opportunities, but it could have easily been someone who wasn't Esther. It could have easily been a generation missed that, that became someone else. There's a whole generation of Israelites in the Old Testament who didn't step into the promise. God gave them the timing and the opportunities and they messed up. And we're never going to know their names. They'll never be part of the history. But why? Because they missed their timing and their opportunities. But we've heard of Joshua and we've heard of Caleb. Why? Because they were like, I recognize the timing, I recognize the opportunity, and I'm going to use both because it's God at work in us and through us. This week I saw a movie called One Life. Pastor Jim referenced it at the prayer meeting on Wednesday, and this might be a bit of a spoiler for you, but it's still a good movie. But it's about a guy called Nicholas Winton, or Nicky as he was referred to. And to give context to the, the story, Nicholas, or his family had actually moved, or he had German origin, and he'd moved to the UK as a family after World War I, and they changed their name, because obviously we didn't particularly like Germans in uh, Britain in the 1920s, 30s, and 40s. But he basically changed his name to Nicholas Winton, and it was 1938, and he was like a broker, like a banker kind of thing, and he basically travelled to... Czechoslovakia as it was at the time to Prague and it was the Germans had pretty much been kind of taking parts of Europe and at this point they were right on the edge of Czechoslovakia they'd kind of invaded everywhere just about and war hadn't broke out yet and basically he went to this place and he was going for a week and it was like a refugee camp it was like squalor there was people who were just fleeing all different parts of Czechoslovakia and Europe to try and escape the Nazis and and he basically goes to this place and it's like a camp and they're trying their best to feed people, they're trying their best to get doctors, they're trying their best to... And he sees so many children. There are so many children who have nothing. They've been... I mean, they've probably got the clothes that they wore and he's a bit of chocolate and they're all wanting some and he runs out and basically he stays there for longer and he basically comes up with this plan, him and a few others, and their plan is we want to evacuate as many children as we possibly can to safety in Britain. And so they start this plan, and they need money and they need resources, and he basically goes back and forth between the government and he harasses them and he harasses them, and they say, well, we need money, so he gets money. It's like we need like foster adopted families and agreements, we need paperwork, we need blah, blah, blah. So they work relentlessly to try and save as many children. And he says this phrase in the film, and I've probably said it in real life, but 
But it was such a challenge to me in my spiritual life, and it's not a spiritual film necessarily. But he says, I seen it, and I couldn't unsee it. And I could do something about it, so I did. And then one of the people asked him, because obviously it's a grand plan and they need help from everybody. And she, she asked him, you think very highly of ordinary people. And he says, of course I do, for I am an ordinary man. And the gist of the story is they go back and forth and back and forth and he's able to evacuate and rescue to get 669 children from Czechoslovakia which is incredible. But in the movie, he ends up living to his 106 and gets a, a knighthood, and deservedly so. But he's so emotional, because he doesn't think of the 669 that he saves. But he's actually so motivated and so moved by every single one that's left behind. And in the context, that they say and estimate that, because eventually the movie kind of, towards the end, the Nazis invade Czechoslovakia. They invade Poland, and it pretty much means it's done because the trains had to go through Poland and Germany to get them to Britain but if they had British visas they were fine and that pretty much means it's done the operation's over there's nothing they can do we're at war and the last train doesn't make it through which was the biggest one and they estimate that about 2,000 children went to the concentration camps through that thing and only and less than 200 of them survived so he was able to rescue 669 and then it says, it's estimated that there are 6,000 people in Prague today living, currently alive, because of Nicholas Winton and his team. 6,000 currently alive. And it made me think, that, just made me think of how many people are dependent on us as the church. You see, we don't fight Nazism, but the Bible says that the enemy comes to steal, to kill, and destroy. But God is looking for his ordinary people with their extraordinary God to make the most of the timings and opportunities that he gives us in order that just like he rescued children from Czechoslovakia, and I mean, it's an incredible film and an incredible true story. But I believe that God was calling us just like Esther to say, what are you going to do with the timing and opportunity I've given you right now in order that there might be lives not taken out of Czechoslovakia, but actually lives taken out of hell and into heaven because the church has a rescue. We have a, we have a mandate and a rescue. We have way more resources than he had. We have the Holy Spirit at work in our lives in order that we might make a difference, in order that we can be people who, make, who lives, who dies, and who tells the story. Well, actually, my, my view is that everyone can live, that nobody has to die. But it's up to you and I to tell the story. The worship team can come up as I'm nearly finished. You know, it's an incredible passage in Esther. And I guess I just want to challenge us with the same question that Mordecai challenged her with, that no matter who you are, no matter whether you're brilliant or not, whether you find yourself in a palace or whether you find yourself not in a palace, that the question remains that who knows, just perhaps you were born for such a time as this. That this is your moment in history, this is my moment in history. To look at the opportunities God gives us and the time that he gives us to say, do you know what God? I'm gonna make a difference. I'm gonna tell your story. I'm gonna do everything I can to rescue those 
from the enemy and bring them to you. Because ultimately the greatest victory that any of us will ever have is relationship with Jesus. It's knowing him. Can we all stand if that's okay? Because I'm just going to pray for us and then we're going to worship God to close. Father God, I thank you that you are in control. Father God, I thank you for every opportunity you give us. I thank you that you have perfect timing. And Father God, I pray that you help us to to listen to listen and to look for the opportunities you give us with and I pray that you give us the wisdom and the boldness to use the time that you give us that as long as we're here on planet earth you still have a plan for our life I pray Father God that just like the the guy Nicholas that we'll never ever become defeated when we see things we won't unsee them and that we'll do everything that we can when we can do it that we won't shy away from our responsibility and Father God I pray Father that in 2024 that there will be those who come to faith in you because we were obedient to what you tell us to do Father God that just like in Prague there's those currently living in a life because of what he done Father God I pray Father God that there will be those who are alive in you because of what we do through you and with you as you guide us Father God, we give you all of the praise. We give you all of the glory for you're the only one who is worthy of all of it. Help us to make the most of what you give us for your glory. Amen.